mother-daughter podcast about the representation of women in movies and television. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series, The Karans and Chronicles, and Beth's daughter. And I'm Beth Von Baron, Tessa's mother and also a writer. In this podcast, we discuss movies that feature stories about women characters in leading roles or where the story's focus is on women or women's issues. We had originally planned to mostly look at movies that were nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars, but quickly realized we needed to broaden our horizons because movies and the culture in which they exist are an ever-changing and expanding landscape. So instead, or maybe in addition, we will also look at movies that were missed or ignored, that initiated a cultural dialogue, or that we just really, really loved and don't want you, our audience, to miss. Today, we begin our discussion of Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie from 2023. Uh, fortunately, this film requires no content warnings, but there will be spoilers and likely colorful language. Yes, very colorful. Barbie as a movie is a little different because it's basically a Mattel-made movie. There are a couple of, several uh, production companies involved. Heyday Production, Lucky Chap, NBGG, which is, um, I think, Greta Gerwig and Nora Bomba. Bomb, what's his last thing? Mm. Bombach. Bombach. Uh, and um, Mattel. So there are a lot of women involved in the production of the movie Casting by Allison Jones and Lucy Bevan. Bevan. Costume director was Jacqueline Duran. Production designer is Sarah Greenwood. Margot Robbie was a producer and actually one of the people who wanted to get the movie off the ground to begin with. She was later brought in as its star, according to Tess, just told me this a few minutes ago. Greta Gerwig is an executive producer. It was also written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who are married. I believe they just got married this year. Directed by Greta Gerwig and is based on Barbie by Mattel. A lot of the other uh, roles, visual effect, music, editing, director, photography, several producers and executive producers are all men. And just a note here about the difference between producer and executive producer, because we were just discussing it a few minutes ago. The producer handles on-set logistics, management, and supervision, while the executive producer deals more with offset issues like negotiating uh, offset issues, excuse me, like negotiating contracts, communicating with investors or studios, and maintaining the business face of the production. That's not to say that an executive producer has no creative impact. So we're going to start off by talking about uh, we're not going to give you a synopsis, or do you want yeah. to give a synopsis? Well, I'll just do a really brief one. If you haven't seen the movie, you should watch the movie before you listen to this, because uh, we're not going to go through the plot point by point, but we are going to pretty much talk about everything. Um, but for a basic synopsis of the movie, the movie is about Barbie as a physical manifestation of the concept of Barbie. She lives in Barbie land, and at the beginning of the movie, she starts to experience human failings. Uh, and because of that, she has to go into the real world uh, and then craziness ensues. So it's I have heard the movie compared to Elf, uh, which has a weirdly similar synopsis where an elf from Santa's workshop has to go through the real world. Interestingly, that movie stars Will Ferrell, uh, who plays the Mattel CEO in this one. Um, I, I think Barbie's a, a lot better personally, but uh, but it is a very similar plot. 
And yeah, and that, that that's pretty much it. Most of the movie is sort of, it, it's more about the themes and the character development and k- kind of what it is to be human and to face your own death. Um, this is a Barbie movie about death. It is totally a Barbie movie about death in some ways. In other ways, it's about yes. life. It's mm-hmm. also about embracing your humanity and what it means to be human. And what it means to grow and develop. We have a lot of yeah. themes in this. Um, we could start with the opening narration uh, for just a minute or two. I just have a couple things to say about it. It's a very interesting opening. There's a story being told. Helen Mirren is our narrator, our omniscient voice narrator. And she is uh, amazing. And I'm sitting there in the movie the first time I watched it in a movie theater. Had to get my phone out and find out, who's the damn narrator? Because I recognize his voice. <laughs> yeah. Um and it was Helen Mirren. She's wonderful. And the story, you know, she's telling the story of Barbie and how little girls have been playing with dolls as long as there have been little girls. And, but mostly those dolls were uh, baby dolls, which means yep. that little girls were playing, were pretending to be mothers. Yeah. So when Barbie came along, that all changed. We now have, you know, a whole world, let's see, 60 something years of dolls that are career focused or are artists or mm-hmm. you know they have they just have real uh potential real lives that little girls can interact with ga- yeah. engage with and be creative with that yeah. was not something that happened before 1959 which yeah. is the year barbie was introduced barbie is just a year younger than me so i feel like i have grown up with barbie even though i did not play with barbie when i was a little girl that's something we should throw in here you played with barbies a lot mm-hmm. and i was not very doll focused i don't know why i just had no interest my mother loved dolls she bought me every doll she could find including yeah. a whole bunch of barbies that i several of which i still have um yeah. just never really took off for me but but we are the same age and uh so the opening narration is about that and it's set on a landscape that is uh reminiscent of the opening of 2001 a space odyssey by stanley kubrick in fact, there's uh, some music at some point that you can hear the the bum, 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 bum music yeah. um, that, that go, goes along with it. And uh, I think it, it, it's a wonderful opening. It is definitely, uh, for someone like me who loves movies and has never loved Stanley Kubrick, except for Spartacus. <laughs> he, he gets kudos for Spartacus, one of my favorite movies. But other than that, his, his experimental approach to, to filmmaking has never been my thing. I think if you're a visual artist, you love him. But if you're, if you're or, or a visual person, you love him. But mm-hmm. if you go to movies for the whole thing, you know, the visual and the storytelling and the dialogue and the character development, if you want that whole package, Stanley Kubrick doesn't deliver it, in my opinion. I know that's yeah. going to make a lot of, well, we don't, maybe we don't have a lot of men who listen. <laughs> but I think he tends to be a director that men love. Yeah. So sure. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, so the narration is talking about Barbie and what she is to little girls. You know, she, uh, thanks to Barbie, this is a quote, all problems of feminism and equal rights have been solved. And then she says, and I'm thinking because Barbie can be all of these things, can women be all of these things? That's one of the questions. But anyway, so she, you know, goes on to, to talk about that. And, you know, and, and then there's kind of... How does it end? There's an abrupt ending where we... Well, first of all, she winks at the little girl. That's a, that's 
that's a great visual. They're playing and they look up to her. You know, she comes along and she's in her she's in her her, her swimming suit, the black the famous black yeah. and white swimming suit, and she kind of pulls her sunglasses down and winks at the little girls as to say, mm-hmm. "I we're you're in on the secret now." Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, then it actually goes to the visual or one of the visuals that I want to talk about, where it it goes it kind of cuts to this like white this blank white canvas, and then it shows you a bunch of different Barbies throughout the years. Yeah. Uh, and immediately in the theater, it kicked off my nostalgia because one of the Barbies that it showed, and in the first spread on the far right, there's a Barbie in this like pink princess dress. I didn't have that Barbie, but I had the McDonald's toy of that Barbie. <laughs> and I remember, I remember. It so I remember. clearly. <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God. I remember that McDonald's that McDonald's toy. Um, and that's actually, I, I think you kind of covered everything about the intro, but that kind of brings me to one of the points that I want to make about the movie. It's It's been made before, but I just want to echo it. Visually, this movie is a masterpiece on multiple levels, both the level of just like sheer completion, but also the many thousands of ways <laughs> that it hits on these nostalgic notes like that that barbie when barbie wakes up in her uh, dream house and she's under that shiny blanket i remember that material so well even midge barbie's pregnant friend i remember that i don't know if you remember this but my fr- i guess we can we can just call her liz my friend liz uh had that barbie she had the barbie that was pregnant and it was weird and we would just kind of look at this doll and not really know what to do with her <laughs> well and the thing that i wrote in my notes about that is pregnant barbie was discontinued yep <laughs> pregnant barbie was just, it was a weird doll cuz you could like it was, you could open up her stomach little girls yeah mm-hmm. you could open up her stomach and then there was like a little baby a little baby, in baby. There. And it was just bizarre. Like, it, it was sort of weirdly surgical. So we were, like, fascinated with pregnant Midge, but definitely kind of disgusted by her as well. Well, and there's the the, the visuals that I, they go on almost in every scene where they reintroduce Barbie after cutting away to another character. They come back to her, and she's in a new outfit. Yes. She, she changes outfits, I'll bet, ten times oh, in yeah. the first ten minutes of the movie, and that's another hail to, you know, nostalgia. I think they do a very good job with that. And there's a line about it. She's uh, at one point when, when later in the movie, when she's brought Gloria and Sasha back to Barbie land, she's like, we can go to my dream house and change our clothes again. Cause that's part of the point of playing with the Barbies, changing her clothes a million changing times. Changing her clothes. And this sets us up to think, Oh, Barbie is just a silly little thing. It's just a fashion doll. Girls just like to girls just like, to have fun girls just mm-hmm. like to be pretty girls just like to have wear pink and and have and you know and and dress up and wear heels that, that make our feet hurt and yeah. so there's there's this is a setup this is this yeah. is going on as a setup where you're thinking this movie is not gonna is not gonna do anything and then it mm-hmm. just kind of turns it on its on its head but i would like to say something about ken real quick here too mm-hmm. is that a muscled chest suit that he's wearing i mean it I, looks pretty fake right i think it's contouring i think he's just got a lot of makeup on to okay. make it look more extreme okay. i don't think it's a whole fake chest i think it's just he's they okay. kind of painted him with makeup 
to make it look a lot more than what it is. And and during these opening scenes, it's very clear to me that we are not supposed to like the Ken dolls the way we like the Barbie dolls. The Barbie yeah, dolls sure. are are dynamic, they're colorful, they're they're talking, they have dialogue, they interact with each other, and the Ken dolls are just I'm not even sure what they are. They're very they're very they're just uh, flat. They're flat. They're just Ken. Yes. Yeah, I'm just yeah. Ken. Um, they're very flat and I don't think we're supposed to, that's a, that's a huge contrast and it does get flipped later on, but it calls into question one of the themes of the movie. So, which we'll get to later on. And it is reminiscent of how girls actually play with their Barbies. Um, Mm -hmm. because nobody wants a Ken doll. Exactly. My friend and I, we had like tons and tons of Barbies. We had two Kens and that was it. I remember distinctly their main role because like I, I remember the kinds of stories that we would generally like come up with for the Barbies, and generally what we did was the Kens would get kidnapped, and the Barbies had to go on an adventure to save the Kens. That was the main <laughs> story <laughs> that we would do. So that was basically we would just like throw the Kens somewhere in the far end of the room, and then the Barbies had to go on an adventure to find them. <laughs> and you know, I I knew that you guys were creating these elaborate storylines, and. Uh, and I've told people for years that that was the beginning of you as a storyteller. I could see it even then when you were five and six years old. But I would listen to these elaborate stories for about a minute and then realize I can't keep up with these two and walk away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were yeah, very I mean, creative. I mean, I think there's kind of a combination of things happening there both that you know we're we're kids doing kid playing kid plays off the wall but also we were best friends so we probably had like a million different inside jokes that we didn't even know were inside jokes you know mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean that just brings me back to this this movie did such an incredibly good job of capturing that nostalgia but also not resting on that nostalgia the nostalgia is like there is this beautiful backdrop and it kind of it it, I actually think you know you were saying that it it makes you think that the movie's not going to be any more than that I I do think for some people that's true but for me I think it actually kind of opened me up to having a more emotional experience because it just it kind of brought me back to being a child in a way that almost no other movie has ever done because Mm. no movies are about female childhood nostalgia (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of movies about boys as, yeah. as children and tweens and teens. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Transformers franchise. Yeah, and what is the movie that comes to mind when you when you think about teenage girls? Mean Girls. Oh, yeah, Mean Girls, yeah, yeah. Maybe Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, if we want to go with another American mm, Ferrero Yeah, movie. that's a good... I've never seen that, but uh, have I? I think I, I did finally I watch know. it when I, you, you encouraged me to see it, and I think I did finally. Yeah, I, I read the books. Um mm. And so I did watch, I think there were two movies. There were like four books. Uh, I did not read all of the books because they got kind of repetitive at a certain point. But the first book was really good. And the first movie is really good, too. It's also got, it's got a, a bunch of people, actually. Maybe we should do Sisterhood of the Traveling we Pants. We should. It's, it's got Rory from Gilmore Girls, um, Alexis Liddell, America Ferreira, Blake Lively, and how am I forgetting Joan of Arcadia's actual name? And her dad is an actor, so I should be able to come up Tamblin, with it. Amber Tamblin. There Amber, we go. Yeah, Amber Tamblin. <laughs> Russ you Tamblin said her dad, her dad, and somehow I remembered Russ <laughs> Tamblin's name first. 
Yeah. And well, that's anyway. how I remember it too. He was in West Side Story was his big his big claim to fame. Um, but yeah, but so th- it, there's there's a ton of movies that are about like boy childhood. I mean, uh mm-hmm. Stand by Me, mm-hmm. Transformers is nostalgic to boy toys, Sonic the Hedgehog. That's mm-hmm. a boy nostalgia movie. Well, so the this opening scene, this is actually the second opening scene, the opening opening scene with the the 2001 landscape. But then we get this opening scene um, which is actually a Lizzo song playing over yes. um, everything, and it's it's the I actually thought it was pink at first because I I have closed captioning on my television and I didn't notice it when I w- was in the theater, but then when I was watching it last week again, it said pink, and then it went right into the lyrics, and I didn't realize mm-hmm. the pink was the title, so I was thinking it was pink the pink the singer. Oh, you for thought a it long was time. Pink the artist. Okay, but then at some okay. point I realized no, no, that's Lizzo. That's a- yeah, <laughs> I don't even know yeah. how I knew it, but I knew it was her. Anyway, so she's singing over it, and the opening scene is she's Barbie saying things like "I worked hard." I all the Barbies are said. When we talk about Barbie yes. in this movie, every Barbie is named Barbie, so it's hard to distinguish. Um, yeah, which is why we might sometimes refer to them by the actor's name, but different Barbies are doing a lot. There's a lot of self-affirmation in this opening yes. scene. And a, a lot of uh, woman-to-woman affirmation. There's a lot of yes. like... like they, I deserve so this. I worked hard. They show, you look pretty. Yes. Yeah. They, they show a whole, basically a whole world run by women. It's a whole world run by Barbies. And they show mm-hmm. like the president in the White House and she still opens up her meeting by saying, everyone turn to the Barbie near you and say something that you like about them and tell them that you love them. It's like mm-hmm. it's very warm and happy. Yes. Uh, and self-affirmation but also kind of i mean for lack of a better term sisterhood affirming you know it's it's also yes. like the barbies all love each other and they want each other to love themselves it, and it's a little lacking in depth we'll be honest about that um and it's also hilarious it's, all, it's, it's hilarious it's also it's superficial but it's it's hilarious and it's sweet so uh-huh. we get to this point and they're all talking and thinking, and all of a sudden, Barbie says, "What? How, what is the what is the expression she used? Do you ever think about death?" Oh yeah. Um. Do, do you guys ever? Do think you ever think about, about dying? dying? Yeah. Yeah. And that's and, and that and, happens in the during our se- so we we open with the Lizzo song, and then we get this whole intro, and we get the intro to Barbie, and the fact that Ken only really exists when Barbie looks at him, mm-hmm. and then we get the big dance number Ken asks if he can come over later and she says Mm -hmm. sure I guess I don't really have anything big planned except a choreographed number with a bespoke song Uh, and then we go to to her party at her house uh, and that that's when that line happens it's a a Lipa song he he can't come over because every night is girls night forever that's a that's a that's a line and then she does that and she wakes up that's what happens it's the next morning she wakes up and she's not in a good mood her breath is bad. Well, she she does say the line before, so that, that there is okay. So that's the first clue in the middle of the big disco okay. number. Yeah, in the in the middle of the big disco number, she stops and she goes, "Do you guys ever think about dying?" And everyone stops and like kind of stares. I mean, literally, there's a song <laughs> going on, and it feels like there's a record scratch. Full stop. Yeah, you know, like- yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I th- I think she covers by saying like, "I'm dying to dance," and then they just keep going. <laughs> that's what she does. That's yeah. what she does. But then. She has a good night's sleep. She goes to bed. I mean, she says, I'm definitely not thinking about death anymore. But mm-hmm. she wakes up the next morning, not in a good mood. This is when she has a bad, bad breath, cold shower. Her milk is sour. Now, admittedly, in the first scene when we see her doing these things, waking up and taking a shower and drinking milk out of the carton, <laughs> none of this has actually happened. It's, you know, the carton is empty. Yeah, There's no water empty. coming out of the shower. And it's that imagination. 
it's imagination. Uh, it continues continues to be true, but you can see that the um, she she smells her breath. It doesn't smell yeah. good. She wakes up and her hair she, is not perfect. She jumps in the shower because it's cold, even though there's and no actual and, water, but it's and it, imaginary cold. Yeah, yeah. She she screams because it's it's cold. Yeah. Uh, her toast is definitely burned. And the Lizzo song turns on her. The Lizzo song yes. suddenly gets dark. Uh, she, oh, girl, part... you okay? Yeah. <laughs> and there's there's like, there's a part in the song twice where Lizzo spells pink, um, like P-I-N-K. And each time it stands, each letter like stands for something. And in the first verse, when everything's going well, K stands for cool. But then when after everything is going badly, K stands for death. So... <laughs> Just one of the which I I, I want to point that out in part because it's just like you could totally miss it because it's the song and that's part of what's kind of funny about the scene is the Lizzo song is commenting on everything that everything is doing as it's and, champ- as it's happening as it's evolving yeah. as it's changing yeah. yeah but it's it still sounds like this cool like hips I mean it's it's Lizzo it's mm-hmm. great it's like fun to listen to so you can sort of like you can either pay attention to it or you can let it fade into the back background. And that's why when, if you do notice the like, K death, she still sounds like just as happy and like fun as the song has sounded the whole time, but she's saying death. It's just, it's this great moment of dissonance. That's also this moment of like layered humor. Cause again, you could, you could just be ignoring the song and not notice it at all, but it is there. It's this extra layer of jokes. <laughs> and everything that was beautiful and wonderful and positive in the previous scene has now completely flipped on its head. So, yes. you know, she she falls cuz she's not she's she's just not coordinated anymore. She's embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Her feet are flat. That's a major yes. uh turning point in this scene and it's a visual one. You can see her feet collapsed. Yeah. Uh and she does not have a context for this. She says that. I don't have a context for this. And yeah. other Barbies are not supportive. All of a sudden they're retching. I mean, they try you know, to be. They they, they want to be, but then when they see that it's a real problem, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. Uh, so she goes to see Weird Barbie. There's a, one of the Barbies tells her that she's malfunctioning, and uh, but she's like doesn't know what to do with it because she says malfunctions are usually just hair related. Even the hair related malfunctions are usually brought on by the owners who play with them and yeah. and. <laughs> you know, mess with their hair and then can't get it back the way that, you know, the way it came yep. originally. That's what I remember about the Barbie dolls is mm-hmm. it was so much fun to play with their hair. But once you start, you can never go back. Their hair yeah. never is the same again. I don't know what they do in the factories, but it's never the same again. And yep. that's disappointing. Um, so then you have, the, you, there comes a time in your life with Barbie in those two or three years as a child where you're playing with Barbie, where you get to a point should I play with the hair? Because it's going to mess it up <laughs> permanently. The thing that, yeah, the thing that I remember is a lot of Barbies come with their hair in a ponytail. And mm-hmm. if you ever take the ponytail out, there's like a permanent crimp where the yeah. ponytail used to be. So there's always this like, it sort of goes back from the head and then there's a crimp and then it's like straight after that. It's very strange. And, you know, I'll just inter- interject a little story here about your um introduction to barbie i was not going to buy you any barbie dolls and and Mm -hmm. that was mostly because i had not really enjoyed them as a child and i didn't know whether you would or not and i was still kind of thinking as you know as a strong feminist i don't want to put this on her she may not like barbie i don't want her to think that barbie is is what she needs to be so you were four years old birthday parties at at that point were mostly friends and family 
friends come over. I think this was Barb and Roy. I can't remember anymore, but I think that's who it was. Gave you your first Barbie doll. I had to turn away and, and not look disgusted. Um, Are you saying Barb gave me a Barbie? I think she did. Well, <laughs> after the same, they had two boys at, at this point, and they went yeah. on to have a third boy. So she never got her girl. And yeah. she was one of one of two friends that I had during those years who had three boys. So she was she loved being able to give you a Barbie doll. Yeah. That Barbie doll, <laughs> and it was just the first one. I mean, you know, after I saw how much you loved it, we, we went I in, you know, it. we went yeah. all in. We, you know, we started buying Barbies and stuff and whatever. But that first one, you would not believe. She looked like weird Barbie. We're gonna get. We're gonna be talking about weird Barbie <laughs> in a minute. You cut her hair. You 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 colored her face with crayons. Yeah. Um. I mean, and eventually we lost her body because it, her head popped out, and all I had left was was the head and the hair. Oh, and she thought, was the one need... that I put on a different. Was she the one that I put on a different body at some point? Because I did have a I Barbie so. that I was okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was, like, that was your first Barbie. Her. And yeah. and I wanted to keep that head and like just because I wanted you to see when you were forty years old what you had done <laughs> to your first bar. Oh, God. I didn't. I, but, I, I mean, I th- that is actually bringing back a memory for me. I do remember that I had a Barbie where her head had come off, and I think I I think yeah, we lost her body, and I found I like basically decapitated a different Barbie and shoved her head back on the neck so that mm-hmm. I would still have her. I and also. She was- she looked like weird Barbie in the movie. She had those yeah. kind of crayons. When I, had, I first I had a couple saw this, <laughs> when I first saw this in the theater, I laughed my ass off. Yeah. I thought whoever whoever designed this weird Barbie has had a child who did mm-hmm. this to her because mm-hmm. it must be it must be universal because that's I mean, exactly what yours looked like. I, I mean, I, I feel like part of what I appreciated about weird Barbie in the movie was that I feel like so often culturally we don't talk about like you know there, there there's this cultural narrative that like boys like trucks and to be loud and destructive and girls like barbies and to be dainty and quiet and i'm just like do you know what we do to the barbies though <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> we 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 operate on these barbies we experiment on these barbies yes we 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 try out our artistic skills yes. on barbies we decapitate barbies there are all mm-hmm. kinds of crazy things little girls do to barbie dolls that you would not you would not believe or probably even understand if you hadn't seen it firsthand and whoever whoever did this in the movie whoever was responsible for designing weird barbie got it right did an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, I'm yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it's Greta Gerwig. She knows what she's talking about. She knows how girls play with Barbies. Uh, and yeah, it's just you know, just because little girls are drawn to things that are shiny and pink and look a certain way, doesn't mean that little girls don't have a destructive streak. We all yes. did. <laughs> that's part of and, that's part of being a child. That's part of figuring out the world is destroying yes. it. <laughs> it's part of using your imagination. To see how far you can take it, to see how far you yeah. can go, to push mm-hmm. the limits, and mm-hmm. um, girls do it as well as bar- as boys. And to say mm-hmm. that only boys do it is is a great disservice to little girls because mm-hmm. um, it doesn't allow you to, to grow up, to experiment, and grow up and learn from your mistakes the way boys yeah. do. But yeah. um, fortunately, you had a mother who completely understood your destructive tendencies <laughs> and let let you run with it. <laughs> go ahead, destroy that. Can't take uh, that, yeah. Barbie. <laughs> Um, okay, so I do oh. want us to talk a bit more about Weird Barbie, but I feel like I have, like, 
a really small point that I want to make and now seems like as good a time to make it as as ever. Um, this movie had a huge impact on fashion this year. Huge. Really? Like, the second it came out, and it, I mean, okay, like confession time. I am like addicted to looking at clothing websites. <laughs> um definitely my my biggest uh, like addiction is if i'm bored i will just like go and look at like clothing websites i I have like a handful that i really like to look at i like a lot of goth clothing websites but also sort of like fake vintage um and several of the websites that i uh went to as almost as soon as the movie came out started selling some variation of the like pink gingham dress that Barbie wears mm. at one point. That was wow. that was the first the first wave. But then at New Year's, uh I did some or like in the lead up to New Year's, I I did some searching around to look up, you know, what what people are wearing for New Year's this year and almost all of it was gold jumpsuits like they wear in the dance scene. Like it just wow. everywhere, gold jumpsuits. <laughs> that the the fashion impact of this movie, I feel like, cannot be overstated. It just it, and and like and I I I don't know if you you did you go to see it in the theater? I was gonna say I think I know what you're gonna say. I was gonna say that the opening weekend, uh, when, yeah. when girls and and older women, women and gay men. Women and gay men and young girls all went to the theaters dressed up. You went to the theater dressed yes. up, right? Yes. So when yeah, I went I to didn't... see it, I, I went a month later or maybe two or three weeks later when it had been out for a while and there yeah. were still women dressing up for it. And I remember at the end of the movie, I came out, I just wore a blue top and blue jeans and I was yeah. washing my hands and this woman, you know, comes out of the stall and she's kind of humming. And I said, it was a good movie, wasn't it? And she's all dressed in blue and she said, it was the best movie ever. And we just had this <laughs> yeah. kind of bonding moment. And it's like, yeah. and we were both like laughing and giggling. And yeah, it was a really, really good movie. But I, and yeah. I saw it three weeks late. So yeah. Yeah. I, I went to the theater twice to see it. Um, Cause my, I went with my husband on uh opening weekend and uh, we both had a fantastic time. He loved it. Uh, and then a couple weeks later, he was traveling for a weekend. And I was like, what am I going to do by myself this week? I'm going to go see Barbie again. Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to see it a second time for myself and had a, as much of a fantastic time. I mean, you know, the first time was probably unbeatable because it was opening weekend and everyone I, I I love when you see a movie in the theater and you can just tell that everyone in the theater is having the time of their lives like mm -hmm. everyone is laughing at every joke you're missing some dialogue because people are having such a good time you know mm -hmm. um that was great both times that I saw it and may maybe I should have saved this for when we talk about the speech but both times when I saw it people were sobbing at the speech yeah, uh, and the, the second we'll, time we'll, I was we'll like, get to the speech in a minute, but yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, but yeah, the, it, uh, but yeah, it was, it was just, it was just, just such a fantastic communal experience, and that is related to the fashion because yeah, a lot of people yeah. were dressing up to go see it. I didn't dress up in all pink, but I, I have this um, kind of campy. I like to call it my bisexual on vacation shirt. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like a Hawaiian shirt, but it's like bright teal a, a blue and pink and purple mm -hmm. 
And so it's it's very it's like in the color realm of Barbie in terms of like the brightness of the colors. And it does have pink in it. So I, I wore that to go see it. Also, it was a summer movie and that's one of my um, summer outfits. Um, I, 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 I think the opening weekend and the first few weeks of the movie and, and the articles that came out, people talking about it. It was just it was like an American love fest for Barbie. Yes. Yeah. And I did want to say, um, or I wanted to bring up, I, as as you know, but our listeners may not, I um, follow a lot of drag queens, and uh, two of my favorites are Trixie and Katya, and Trixie uh, made a point uh, around the time that the movie came out that I have thought about a couple of times, which is, this movie might create a trend of women dressing in pink the way that goths dress in black. Oh and yeah, I I th- I think she's right on the money. I feel like it is happening more and more because oh that because that was the other thing. All, all of the when I was looking for looking at uh, New Year's clothes, it was all either gold jumpsuits or bright pink stuff. And, so and I, I will I, tell I you, as somebody right. as someone whose coloring works really well with pink, it, yeah. it's been it's kind of been a, a, a it's been difficult my entire life to find the kinds of of tops and dresses and stuff that are pink that that look because that's that's a good color for me because yeah. some years all you can get are black and, yeah. and green and gray and there's just no pink out there this spring the catalog is starting to come in for spring and pink is spring heavily pink. favored and i am yeah. so happy about that uh so uh one little point uh that i wanted to make we don't have to spend that much time on this is uh, i wanted to talk about uh magic earring ken so th- there's a point later in the film where most of the Barbies have been brainwashed, and we can go back and talk about that if we want to. But in Weird Barbie's house, in her weird house, instead of a dream house, she has a weird house, uh, some of the outcasts are hanging out because they have not been brainwashed. Uh, And those include two discontinued Kens, one of which is called Sugar Daddy Ken, and the other one is Magic Earring Ken. Sugar Daddy Ken is fairly self-explanatory. Uh, he has a dog named Sugar, and he's Sugar's daddy. And they just <laughs> were a little unaware that Sugar Daddy is its own term. Yes, <laughs> that means is. something very different. Um, Magic Earring Ken it has a little bit more of a complicated story, but it is a similar issue about basically Mattel being a little bit unaware but trying to be cool Uh, and I will credit my knowledge for this to Dan Savage uh, of Mm -hmm. The Stranger you know one of our great gay historians at this point yeah Dan Savage Um, he uh, as soon as Magic Earring Ken came out he published a a column making fun of it because you see Magic Earring Ken's earring is not an earring it's a cock ring (laughs) Yeah. So uh, apologies for the language, but basically what happened was some people who worked for Mattel went to uh, try to figure out what was cool and ended up uh, observing what club kids were doing and what club kids were wearing. And what they didn't understand was at the time, club kids either just were mostly gay or were getting their fashion from gay people and gay people, gay men had started wearing cock rings on necklaces as like a fashion statement but also you know as this kind of countercultural sex in your face statement so they you know they'd be wearing these like see-through mesh shirts and a necklace with a cock ring on it and so the club kids started wearing it too and people at Mattel saw the club kids wearing it and just thought oh that's a cool outfit 
and didn't didn't connect what it actually was. So then they produced Magic Earring Ken, who has a cock ring on a necklace. And here's the thing. I am pretty sure that Liz had that outfit. <laughs> I remember that outfit. I remember <laughs> the mesh the mesh purple. Your and friend. The weird, your friend yes, your friend my Liz. Friend. Yeah. Yes, my friend Liz. The, my my Barbie friend, the friend that I played Barbies with, I am pretty mm-hmm. sure, I don't think she had the actual Ken because we didn't have a lot of Kens, but mm-hmm. I think she had the outfit like she'd gotten it from somebody who didn't play with Barbies anymore because <laughs> I remember the purple mesh shirt and the weird necklace. And even as a child thinking, huh, I don't normally see boys wearing necklaces. <laughs> you know, what the, the, the odd thing about that is, is... You would think for every single Barbie that went into production, it had to be vetted and screened, mm-hmm. and they would talk to different kinds of people, get input. But they did not get any input from a single gay person or a single oh, no. person who understood what a cock ring was. <laughs> not in the early 90s, no. But I mean, I think that was Dan Savage's point, was like, they clearly did not ask a single gay man, because a, a gay man could have told man. you in a second. <laughs> Uh, or, but, or, yeah, I, or a single woman who was familiar with gay culture. I mean, it wouldn't take yeah. much. I mean, maybe yeah. it would have. I don't know. But I mean, and, and that is I, not I something I would have noticed. You you noticed that because you are uh, you go to drag shows and you're into this culture yes. and you you read Dan Savage a lot. I I, I do do subscribe to the email version of his his uh, newsletter, but um, I would never have picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, Never. I mean, well, around the time that the movie came, I mean, first of all, I, I remembered the outfit. Uh, so I started looking up mm. um, what the story was there. Uh, and I, I came across the story from an old, well, I, I think Dan Savage actually reprinted an article where he talked about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, he had like, in the 90s when this happened, uh, he had written about it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that that that's just, I, I think that's basically, I mean, that, that tells you how conservative and kind of secluded these boardrooms can be, you know? And, and also how underground uh, a lot of popular culture can be, especially before the internet. You yeah. Know, uh, prior to the internet, when so much of this just kind of happened by word of mouth and like, you know, seeing people on the street. You know that there wasn't like a written history that could tell you could you could ask any gay man and or, or really any gay person and they could probably tell you, but there was no encyclopedia of fashion to look up to see what, yeah. what this was about. So yeah, I just wanted to uh, talk about that very briefly. Uh, and now we well, can... and and getting back to a weird Barbie, that's and that's that's great information because I think that it, it speaks to how this film was so thorough. They they yes. covered so many Barbie stories over mm-hmm. the decades, and and that's just that's really impressive. The weird the whole weird Barbie uh, scenes that that's kind of a transitional point in the film, right before we move from the fantasy world of Barbie Land to the real world, yeah. where Mattel is making decisions about the Barbies and their lives by a uh, a complete board of directors made of completely of men. All men. All yes. men, no, not a single woman on the board, even though the creator is a woman. Also, when they first show Mattel's headquarters, they show that, uh, like, the FBI calls a guy at Mattel, uh, and that whole room, it's, it's, it's almost like the Barbie version of an office, because it's all the this, like, it's it very, is. it's kind of antiseptic, it's, like, extremely clean, 
uh, but completely blue. All of the men are wearing like a blue sweater vest and khakis. Uh, yeah. So it's like this boring muted blue. Uh, so the, the exact note that I wrote was uh, Mattel's headquarters are unreal, but masculine and boring instead of feminine and pink. Another thing about the, and I'm not sure if I wrote this down or not. Uh, when she gets to the Mattel headquarters, the building that she walks into is a real building. It's a bank mm-hmm. building in Los Angeles. I want to say it's U.S. Bank, but I could be wrong about that. But anyway, the calder that's in front of it, there's a calder sculpture that is one of, uh, well, it's it's calder four is what it's called, number four. There are there might be more than four sculptures that are very similar, but they're red. They kind of look like a, like a spider. There's one in Chicago. That's the first one. In fact, I have pictures of you as a toddler climbing on the calder in, <laughs> in Chicago. Um, but there's one in, in Los Angeles, and it's a bank plaza that's in front of it. So the building is correct, and they chose that building, I think, because it's so tall. It's so linear. You know, it's like it's narrow and tall and it goes up and up and up and and the Mattel boardroom is at the very top of the building Uh, and that's just the exterior scenes that were were filmed there but it's not Mattel although they they superimposed uh, a big Mattel sign on it and you can tell not when you first enter it but when they they show it the second time you can tell that the Mattel sign has been photoshopped into the picture you know (laughs) uh, imposed on the picture but anyway um, but that's a really that's a visual thing that was interesting to me but also Mm -hmm. that there were no women at the Mattel table that was that was um, in fact she walks in she says I'd like to meet the woman in charge Um, and they say well there's there are no women in charge Uh, and then she says um, oh when they try to put it was it when they try to put her in the box and she says I remember or maybe I don't I'm not sure when it happens but she says I remember the smell having a real Proustian flashback remember Proust Barbie that did very well that did not sell very well yeah yeah I think that is when that happens I know I'm not sure if there really was a Proust Barbie <laughs> But, I but it, doubt it. This, this, it's, it's, it's very funny. And the chase yeah. scene, the chase scene that happens after that, because when she comes to visit the board, they want to put her back in the box because they realize that everything is, is, has been t- turned upside down, topsy-turvy. Mm-hmm. And, they, they, and they think the way to get it to get uh, to a right thing is to put her back, literally put her back in the box. Let's put it, let's put it back in the box. Let's put the trouble back yeah. in the box. And so they try to put her into a Barbie box, not realizing that it's not, that's not going to solve her problem. They can't do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, her problems are that she is, she is relating to who we thought, uh, to her owner, to the yeah. little girl, quote unquote, uh, that yeah. who uh, played with her. We don't, come to realize until later that's actually the mother who who had 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 barbie but at this point and i think this is the fascinating part of the book or the movie excuse me we're watching a movie here and i'm reading a book but um the the fascinating part of this is that we assume it's the girl who's a tween she's junior high age and we assume it's her problems and she's you know she's acting out and they show her in bits and pieces in the real world and we can see she's a she's an angry young teenager yeah um i I actually when i when i first saw it i was i thought that the mother that her mother might have been dead because they Mm. show a couple of clips of her playing with the barbie and in each one you can't see the mother's face 
Yeah. So I thought that was them kind of choreographing maybe the mother died and that's why mm-hmm. this girl is acting out and thinking about death. Mm-hmm. And then of course it turns out actually it's just it's from those memories are from the mother's point of view. That's why you can see her face. For the mother's point of view. Yeah. yeah. And and she's a fascinating character. In fact, I I would go so far as to say this is not a movie about Barbie. This is a movie about Gloria. This is Gloria's Gloria, story. Yeah. And Gloria is played by America Ferrara. And we are go- we are going to try very hard to call this character Gloria, but we we keep <laughs> referring to her as America. Uh, which is a Proustian no I- <laughs> um so anyway so you know we there's there's a chase scene that's hilarious i think it's 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 one of those it, it kind of comes in the middle of the film and they're chasing barbie and it's it's like keystone cops uh choreography it, it's hilarious um yeah. there are a lot of there are a lot of points in it where you just they're references that children would not get so that's what i love about this film kind of reminds me of aladdin i I don't know if you Mm -hmm. remember seeing aladdin when you were you were three years old when it came out Mm -hmm. and we we took you and your playgroup friends to see it we weren't sure that you'd be able to sit through it because three is pretty young to sit through a long movie but the the kids loved it and the parents were laughing hysterically because of robin williams so I, i i yeah i love those kind of films where young people would People of all ages get something out of it. They get some of the references, and maybe they come back 10 years later, and they get the rest of the references. Um, because if you were to watch Aladdin today, you would get all those references that the par- oh, yeah. the other parents and I are were laughing about. Anyway, so they, they failed to bring her back. But yeah. in, in, in the middle of this, uh, she and America Ferrara's character, Gloria, uh, kind of connect. And during the course of this, Gloria and her daughter, whose name I cannot come up with. Sasha. 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 Uh, are, are at a point in their relationship where a lot of mothers and daughters find themselves. Um, there's a lot of conflict. It's contentious. And they're not, they're not connecting. Yeah. So the, the, the process of them helping Barbie helps them to connect with one another. And we can talk about that a little bit more later on. Uh, yeah. And I'm not really sure... I guess it's when they get back to Barbie land. So they, they eventually decide they have to go back to Barbie land. That's where they have to, they have to fix things. And she invites um, uh, Gloria and her daughter Sasha to come with her. So they get back there and we get, then we get the speech. And I'm sure there's some lead up to it. Do you remember what the lead up is? Uh, the lead up is basically Barbie's complete breakdown. Um, so that they get back to Barbie land and this is when they discover that Ken has beaten them back there and has instituted his version of horse patriarchy. Oh, we should explain that he went with her. He 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 was yes. kind of uh he snuck along. He snuck along. He was uh what's that called when you stowaway. There you go. It was a stowaway. Yeah. Um and and she he convinces her to let him come along. Well he ha- gets a completely different he has a completely different learning curve. He has a completely yes. different awakening, epiphany when when yeah. he goes to the real world because he sees that men are in charge. And he brings yes. that he leaves her. He leaves her to, to figure out her stuff on her own. And he goes mm-hmm. back to Barbie Lane before she does. He beats her back there and basically teaches all the other Kens that Men should be in charge, and they take over, and they brainwash yes. all the women, and they brainwash all, all, all the Barbies, Barbies. all the Barbies, yeah. yeah. And that's another question: is you know how how do they manage to do that? But anyway, so she she has a breakdown. You were saying, so yeah, so they they get back and they discover that all of the Barbies have been brainwashed, and Ken has stolen Barbie's house, and Barbie basically just has a complete breakdown. It's it's too much for her. She doesn't want to be the one to fix it. And she doesn't feel like she's good enough. Uh, And Mm -hmm. they do end up bringing her back to uh, Weird Barbie's uh, Weird House. And this is where we see all of the other outcasts. 
Um, but it's while they're there. Oh, is Bar- <laughs> Margot Robbie also does this kind of incredible physical thing where she slumps in a Barbie way. Like she she turns she she's almost like turning her body. She's like holding her body stiffly the way a Barbie would. She and does. Like falls falls over at, at a completely perfect like right angle, like how a Barbie would sit. Um, and so they're carrying her around like this and and her way of showing this physically is like how how a barbie would be not not yeah. able to move super stiff she's completely um, and, demoralized and has yeah, just she's lost completely all will all will yeah. to live all will to go on yeah the thing that she says specifically right before the speech is something like i'm not good enough for everything and, she, and she's she's also it's it's not just about what happened in barbie land it's also about what she saw in the real world cuz she did also see that mm-hmm. women are not treated very well in the real world and women aren't the president. And so she, she, she kind of lists these things. I can't be the president. I'm or like, I'm, I'm not the president. I'm not the Supreme Court. I'm not anything. I'm not good enough for anything. Not good enough for and anything. that is when uh, Gloria goes into her speech because she she recognizes it. She does. And she sits down and talks to her, but also to her daughter and yes. to every woman sitting in the movie theater. And this yeah. is what she says. It is literally impossible to be a woman. We have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can't say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but you also have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. Boy, that's the truth. <laughs> you have yeah. to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's behave- bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood. But always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the sisterhood is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every other single woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll, just representing a woman, then I don't even know. And it was so good. I mean, I was sobbing by the time she was done. Like you said, everybody yeah. in the theater was crying. Every woman in the theater was crying. I don't know how many men yeah. were in the theater those first few weekends, those first few weeks. But women relate to this. And yes. they, they captured every every bit of it. Every bit of it in the speech, how difficult, how literally impossible it is to be a woman because it's such a double standard for everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. everything. Yeah, this was the moment where uh, everybody in both screenings that I went to collapsed into tears. Mm -hmm. In particular, the, the second screening that I went to where I was by myself, I was like a couple seats down from this girl who was just having the time of her life, but in an existential way. She just like, from that <laughs> moment on until like the end of the movie, she was just like sobbing. Yeah. But it was also a rallying cry. I mean, it, yes. it was, it was sad to acknowledge the truth of everything she said, but I was also very hopeful and smiling 
amidst the tears because it's a rallying cry. These are the problems. We need to fix them, and we can fix them, but it's going to require a major cultural change in America and, and across the globe. Yeah. It's not just in America. In the movie, the speech function, the speech is how they de-brainwashed, is how they unbrainwash yes. all of the Barbies. Good point. Just hearing the speech... And I think that was an intentional point because when she first gives the speech, we cut over to a Barbie that they had been trying to deprogram. They and and she just no one is paying attention to her because they're all paying attention to Gloria. But she says, "Wait, I did write a book. I did that myself." It's yeah. like just just hearing that speech. It's it, it's this moment of recognition. It's like on some level, it's just enough that somebody recognized the struggle you know that in itself is something that most women don't experience maybe saying these things out loud doesn't fix them in and of itself but it's the first step to just acknowledge it and to Mm -hmm. be seen and heard in this kind of all-encompassing way to be completely seen completely seen and it's a turning point in the movie and it's a turning point for Gloria and Sasha because Sasha begins to respect her mother and Gloria begins to understand you know she's been drawing pictures and submitting ideas to Mattel apparently her entire career that that she's worked for them and she's still like a we have to assume she's a secretary or receptionist she's an executive assistant I think that's it yeah so yeah so at that point they were able to over the course of the next five or ten minutes or so unbrainwash all the Barbies uh they went there's a an election the next day the the Kens have decided they're gonna change the constitution and make it uh Ken land instead of Barbie land yes and so there's going to be a vote well they distract the Kens and they they have this whole dance scene which when I was first watching it the first time I saw it I thought this is supposed to be a movie about Barbie and women, why are we spending 15 minutes watching Ken <laughs> dance and talk about how he's Ken and, and he's, you know, who he is and how he's finding himself? No, 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 no. This is not about. But the point <laughs> behind that scene, I think, is they're trying to keep him distracted while they deprogram all the Barbies and get them ready to vote. So by the time that the, the Kens. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think there's a couple of different points. I, I do think that is functionally the point because yeah what the, what they do is they say that they're gonna play on the, the ken's petty jealousies with each other right and while they're distracted by that they're gonna retake over the government and i think that that is meant to be a reflection of how patriarchy works it gets women to focus on their petty jealousies of each other and distract them with that so that they never actually band together and take power and i think that's also why we focus on ken so much at the end because ken's position in barbie land is much more similar to most women's positions in the real world especially when you think about women who end up completely defining themselves by their relation their romantic relationship with one man I, th- mm-hmm. I think Ken's whole journey at the end there is a reflection of a journey that is more common for women than men in the real world. I I, I have known women who have defined themselves completely through their romantic partner, and that's a bad way to be. And in in this story, Ken represents that storyline, that yeah. that process of not having your own identity in part because you live inside of a a power structure that doesn't care about you and doesn't want you to have power so your only way of having power is to 
identify yourself as an extension of a person with power. Yeah. And that's, that's been historically true for women. Yes, exactly. Women seeing their only form of validation being getting married to a man. You know, let's mm-hmm. think about how much emphasis we place on weddings uh, and how like a wedding is like the a woman's best day of her life. Not necessarily a man's, but it's supposed to be the woman's best day of her life because that's the day where she got a man and that more than anything else that she achieves herself is what is supposed to give her life meaning and so i I think that's why ken gets so much emphasis especially towards the end because none of the barbie characters are like that right like in a way none of the barbie characters are like real women (laughs) you know um which you know which is not me saying that all women go through this but some women do a a lot of women do and and that is a, a thing that a lot of women have to deal with at some point is figuring out how to define themselves without a man in a world that doesn't really want them to do that yeah. So yeah. So I I think that's why. Although I like I will say this was my third time watching the movie, and I did have less patience for Ken this time around. I did just kind of not really care that much about when he was on screen. Everything else was still fantastic. I but I sort of disliked Ken more than I had the first two times I watched it, and had less patience for him. But that being said, I, I, I think that is the point of his, his role. Is in general, as a society, we place a lot of emphasis on the importance of a romantic relationship. We place a lot more importance on a romantic relationship than, say, friendships. You know, men definitely tend to struggle with... I mean, it's, it's, it's like a noted phenomenon that men struggle with breakups more than women because they tend to not have as many friends. Mm. Um, so it's definitely something that both men and women struggle with. But in terms of how Ken's journey is specifically presented, it's about him not knowing who he is and not placing any importance on his own identity until the end. That being said, I do kind of feel like his resolution takes a bit longer than I would like if I have any complaints about the movie. It's just how much emotional work Barbie has to do for him in like the last scene. Exactly. That that is I think I could have dealt with the long uh musical interlude if, if she hadn't still had to spend ten minutes encouraging him and reassuring yeah. him that he can he can you can be somebody. You can you can be Ken. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. I really did I, I felt that they were trying to well okay so what they were doing may speak to some of my questions. So I do think there's some questions I have about the movie in general. So what first question was what exactly constitutes female agency you know that that seems Mm. to be one of the themes and Greta Gerwig has talked about this in in interviews is it just is it being a mother is it being is it having a career is it having everything is it just having what you set out to work for you know I think having I think it's opportunity you know having the opportunity to to pursue creative interpersonal goals yeah but in the end and the the, is the is the ending the movie with her seeing her gynecologist and it speaks to the first (laughs) question as well and we should say that at the end of the movie the very last scene is she's nervous about something and she's in the car Gloria's trying to reassure her and we think that um she's gonna be going to a job interview or something but she gets out of the car and she walks in and she's there to see her gynecologist and I laughed at this because I thought of course she is that's what happens when you're real you get a yeah. fucking period. So she's she's got her period. She's going to see a gynecologist. But is it also kind of a pro-motherhood signal? I don't have a problem with pro-motherhood themes because mm-hmm. I am pro-motherhood. I'm a mother. And I think that, that that's a, that is one of the possibilities of a woman's life. 
And yeah. that, that a lot of times, I think it's very sad right now that young women and men are seeing it as so much of a burden that they mm-hmm. don't think they're going to be able to do it. And I think for a good portion of the population, parenting is a wonderful experience and a way to, to see your life uh, in others and be reminded of what it what it is to be human. Parenting can be very, very important. Not for everybody. It's not for everybody. But both Gloria and Ruth Handler's character in the movie seem to be very pro-motherhood. So I yes. don't know if, if that's an underlying theme here. I mean, I, I think the movie very much did not want to exclude mothers. I, I think yeah. s- the movie simultaneously did not want Barbie to end up becoming a mother, but also did not want to exclude mothers. And mm-hmm. I think that's why Gloria and Sasha's relationship is so important and, you know, part of why Ruth is there. Ruth Handler being the actual, if we didn't say this, the actual creator of Barbie is also a character in the movie played by Rhea Perlman. And she basically allows Barbie to become human at the end. I'm going to say I don't think that Barbie going to the gynecologist is about motherhood at all. Because I think women, I mean, like, th- yes, that's in there, but... Every woman has to go to the gynecologist, whether she wants to be a mother or not. That's Good just point. something you, you have to do if you have a vagina. And Barbie did not used to have a vagina because Barbies don't. Uh, mm-hmm. But now she does because mm-hmm. she's human. I, I think I, I honestly don't think it's that much. Well, I was going to say I don't think it's that much deeper than that. But I, I think they wanted to have a final moment that made it clear that Barbie is living her life as, as a real person that Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily dependent on deciding exactly what her future was going to be. Because if they show her going to an interview, and I do think you're kind of meant to think that maybe it's an interview, um, but if they show her going to an interview, then they have to decide what her career is going to be. And that that just immediately gets so messy. Like, she's she's stereotypical Barbie. She's not a Barbie who had a pre-decided career. And I think part of the point of her becoming human slash metaphorically becoming an adult is that her options are open to her now. So we don't really want to end the movie by saying, oh, this is what her ending is going to be. She kind of, the the point of the ending of the movie is that she hasn't yet found her ending. That's kind of a a whole different movie is Barbie figuring out what her her job is going to be. But going to the gynecologist is just something that women have to do. And it is kind of a coming of age ritual. We don't treat it like it's a ritual, but you and know, it's, you, not you don't... it's not yeah, fun. It's not fun. So <laughs> one of the, I think that's another point is that there's a lot of good stuff that comes with being a human, but there's a lot of difficult stuff too. And going to the gynecologist represents that it's, it's both, potentially wonderful because she you know is human now she could become a mother but it's also difficult you know you mentioned Raya Perlman playing uh Ruth Handler there's another uh the reason I thought Ruth Handler had just died a few years before was that there's a character there's a a moment in the scene in in the in the real world when Barbie has gone back to the real world that she's sitting at a bus stop and there's an older woman sitting next to her and I thought that was Ruth Handler but I think she is somebody I can't remember who she is but they use this woman who's not an actress but I remember she's somebody important to the history of Barbie or, or something anyway so the they're sitting at the bus stop and Barbie He's kind of sitting there looking contemplative and she turns to the woman and I don't know if they have a, a, an exchange first, but the woman turns to her and she looks at her and the camera looks at her and I'm, and we're sitting there for probably three or four seconds looking at this woman's face and right before she says it, I'm thinking, and this woman is like 90 and mm-hmm. she's got age spots and her hair is gray and flat 
and I'm looking at her and after a few seconds, and it takes a few seconds, but I, I started to think, wow, she's beautiful. And then Barbie says it, you are beautiful. And what does the woman say to her? I know it. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was a great scene. And it rem- um, that's why I was, yeah. so, I, I was thinking that, that the, the creator was still alive, but she's mad. She's been dead since 2002. 2002. 2002. Yeah. So, well, and, and that, that actually brings me to one of my points, which I feel like the point of that scene is it's not just that that woman is beautiful, but that aging itself is beautiful. Yes. And I think life. That's, Life yes, is beautiful. life is beautiful, and that's kind of the point of the ending, where Barbie decides to be a person. Is like life is messy, and what what is it? Weird Barbie tells her, "Before long, you'll be sad and mushy and complicated, because that's what humans are." But Barbie decides that that's beautiful, and that's what she wants, and so that's I think the the gynecologist thing is just kind of the final embracing of all of the messiness that is mm-hmm. being a human being. Um, which what I love about this movie is that it's not just about being a woman. It's also about existential dread. And so rarely is a movie about both. Usually if you get a movie about being a woman, it doesn't also deal with like fear of death mm-hmm. <laughs> and like thoughts of existential dread. And, and they just throw it in kind of lightly, and but it throw mm-hmm. it in two or three times consistently. It never goes away. It, it it's just yeah, like it's, the fear of death never goes away. background radiation just like it is in all of yes. our lives. We yes. all know that we will die. It's always there. We try not to think about it, but it's always there. And this movie captures that feeling so well. And yet moves uh, which, on because after you yes. have that dread moment, you move on because what's the point yeah. of living with dread? Sorry, Woody Allen, but what's the part <laughs> of living with dread the rest of your fucking life uh, mm-hmm. when you can be out there enjoying it? What, you know, as Jimmy Buffett said in one of his songs, we may only get 60 good years. So mm-hmm. make the most of it. Um, and that does bring me to, I, I, I just want to talk about this briefly, but I sent you uh, an SNL clip before we started recording. This is my favorite SNL clip. It's, it's called Barbie Instagram SNL. It's from five years ago. So I guess that was like 2018, 2019. It's a an episode that Donald Glover hosted. The, the sketch is just five minutes long, and it's basically just a, a group of interns are being asked to come up with captions for Barbie's new Instagram account. And Donald Glover's character keeps coming up with these horrific <laughs> existential dread captions. I, I, like, four years ago. I'm with a straight face. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, smile. I, he doesn't laugh. I keep thinking about that moment four years ago when I watched that girl get hit by a car in front of my dream house. <laughs> And it just, like, slowly unravels to, like, someone tells Barbie that she's a toy, and it causes this spike of existential dread, and then she's going to commit suicide because of it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's my favorite SNL sketch, and after my partner and I left the movie the first time, we both looked at each other, and we were like... It was kind of like the movie-long version of that SNL sketch. It is. I wonder if it, if it had something to do with, with Greta's idea of coming to life. I could, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I could see it being either way. It could just be, it, it could be that she saw the sketch and was like, oh, I could turn that into the best movie you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> or, or it could just be that they're both, because they both, for me, hit on this feeling and i'm wondering if maybe this feeling was just like in the zeitgeist and that's why we got these two pieces of media but this feeling 
of disconnect when the kind of that 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 moment that you start to outgrow things like Barbie and these these toys that present this very perfect but flat image of life and the disconnect between that and your growing sad mushy complicated feelings as you become an adult I feel like both this movie and that sketch do this really good job of, of hitting on that the the contrast between perfect Barbie and thoughts of death yeah uh, and and how that encapsulates you know becoming an adult I, I think part of the process of becoming an adult is realizing that you will die <laughs> realizing that that life isn't perfect and that we all die and we're all just trying to like figure out how to live our best lives until that happens and that contrast of what the world really is versus kind of what we try to tell children it is you know because mm-hmm. we, we we try to protect children from the the worst parts of life and from knowledge of death even though that's you know eventually they, they have to know but these toys seem to represent our attempts to put a perfect face on life and the moment that you become an adult is the moment that you see behind that face you know i do and the other thing that i think that they kind of hint at in various places and they don't really i mean they do kind of spell it out but they don't talk about it and it it goes back to ken's role in the movie and in barbie land and in life and whatever and everything and that is that they're in barbie land there is an imbalance it's a reverse imbalance of what's happening in the real world so do we feel sorry for ken during those scenes when he's clearly Mm. you know he's so flat and and barbie is so full of life by the end of the movie do we hope that this will become an equal society because in my mind if it doesn't become an equal society this is just going to keep happening kind of like in the real world until we become an equal society for men and women and for all ethnicities so that, you know, people all have the same opportunities and are treated, you know, justly and kindly. Until we have that world, we're always going to be, be experiencing, you know, moments of terror, moments of revolution, moments of mm-hmm. unfair and unjustifiable death early death for people. So I think all of that is kind of an underlying theme because at the end, that was my question in those last scenes with Ken is they have to correct this imbalance as much as I hate to say it because Ken is not interesting to me, but that's part Mm -hmm. of the problem. If you make Ken a more interesting doll, if you make him a more interesting human, then it won't be such a, then you won't feel so bad about him having a 15 minute dance at the end of the movie because it will mean something to you. I think part of the reason that they don't completely correct it at the end is that, you know, it's kind of an echo of Barbie's ending. None of this is truly over. No. There is no definitive ending here. The point is just to live your life striving for that better version of the world, but we may never successfully get there. You know, at least in our lifetimes. It's, yeah, it's exactly. gonna, it's gonna happen in Star Trek land. We know. Yeah, that. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Star, Star in, Trek in tells the, us that it's gonna happen <laughs> in Gene Roddenberry's future. Everything is perfect, and everyone yeah. is bisexual. But in the, in our current real world, we, we may not get there, but that doesn't mean that you stop trying. Well, and, so and that's they, actually, that's a great segue into the themes of the movie. Uh, I think the big one is, uh, and this is a line in the movie, and I cannot remember who said it, but I suspect that it was Gloria. And it's that even if you can't make it perfect, you can make it better. So I think that's a big theme in the movie, and it should be a big 
theme for our lives as as we yeah. uh, and I will just make a political statement here and say as we go forward into 2024 which is going to mm. be a difficult year for anybody with a brain in this country yeah it's gonna it's yeah. gonna be hard for us there's gonna be a lot of stuff happening and yeah. I think we have to just try to make it better even if we can't make yeah. it perfect and you know of course the other thing I just talked about with Ken is that everything in the real world exists and, and this is this is a line that, that Ken actually speaks everything exists to expand and elevate the presence of men and that's he says that about the real world and this is a kind of truth that we don't always see because it so infects our everyday world so completely that we don't always Mm -hmm. see how privileged uh, and how elevated the presence of men is over women but it happens all the time and I've gotten to a point in my life at 65 why don't hesitate to bring to to point it out to people you know people start telling me about how great the Scorsese film is and Mm -hmm. and I I have decided I don't care I, this yeah. is what I think. I think that, that he has been allowed to make films way beyond the point where he should have been when there should have mm-hmm. been more Greta Gerwig's making films. But we don't mm-hmm. we don't see that as an imbalance. We don't see that uh, as elevating the presence of men, but it is because his stories yeah. are all made, his movies are made by men and they are always stories about men. Has he ever made a movie about a woman? So, and, and the last thing that I really love is the focus on differentness. You know, Gloria says at one point, I'm weird and I'm dark and I'm crazy. And then there are other parts of the movie where in, in Barbie land where it's kind of sometimes bland. So there's contrast, contrast the prettiness, but the blandness of Barbie land with uh, America Ferreira being weird, dark and crazy and mm-hmm. weird Barbie being weird and her face being colored and her hair being, you know, crazy. Uh, then we've got the, the dreamlike landscapes uh, contrasted with Muscle Beach in Venice when they first come come into the real world and and mm-hmm. and in those 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 beach scenes uh, you have people who look at Barbie and Ken and think these people are weird and then you have other people looking at them who just accept what they see it's different yes. it's just what it is although I, I think they made a pointed effort because I, I was watching for this pretty carefully this time all of the actual compliments that are said out loud are directed at ken not at barbie and i think that was purposeful yeah uh, okay <laughs> also in in a sad in a sad moment of real life imitating art apparently when they filmed that scene the reactions that they got in real life were very similar uh, a lot of people were coming up to ryan gosling and being like cool man and people were just like leering at margot robbie or like shooting her dirty looks so when they filmed that scene and and you could kind of see it in the coverage at the time that people were like wow so cool that ryan gosling is willing to dress like this but then all of the coverage of margot robbie was like she's really gonna wear that that's crazy this movie must be crazy yeah (laughs) it's just like oh my god guys (laughs) and and following up on that almost immediately after the opening weekend of the movie people were saying almost immediately that Ryan Gosling should be nominated for an Academy Award. And mm-hmm. nobody said that about Margot Robbie. Oh my God. I think I, I maybe didn't tell you this at the time because I didn't want to ruin your day, but Dozie and I drove by a movie theater that clearly only showed like one movie at a time and their marquee said Ryan Gosling's Barbie. I was so <gasps> mad. I'm so mad. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah. Yep. I, so... I almost I almost stopped the car and turned around and burned that building to the ground. 
Everything exists to expand and elevate the presence of men. And, you know, this is words. Yep. These are words from Ken. He, you know, mm-hmm. they, anyway. So, yeah. So those are my themes and, and yep. the questions. And all I have left, and we don't really have time to get into it, are some interesting and weird things that happened in the movie. But it's your turn to, to give your summary before we go on to that, if we have time. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can run through some of my final points. Um, so I, I did want to bring up this one line that I've thought a lot about, and I have mixed feelings on it. Uh, it's Ruth Handler's line, we mothers stand still so our daughters can look back and see how far they've come. I didn't and understand I, I, that one at all. So this time around, and this is why before we recorded, I asked you if Ruth Handler was still alive and then looked it up. Uh, she's dead. And I asked that because I think the way that I can understand this line best is more if it's referring to people who are already dead. <laughs> because the only people who stand still are people who are dead. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and if you think about it that way, like our foremothers, our foremothers stand still so that we can see how far we've come. That, to me, makes a little bit more sense. And Ruth Handler is in reality dead. You know, once you die, your life is what it is. It's kind of nothing else can really change it it is what it is and it contributed to the world the way that it did and it's you know it's the people who are still alive that can still change things and can look back on that as a as a benchmark that's the best way that i can think of it because i honestly think if you take it literally it sort of feels like it flies in the face of the rest of the movie because i i feel like so much of the rest of the movie is about the fact that mothers don't stand still mothers still have life left and i i think the only people who stand still are the ones who are dead that's kind of the only thing that really ends our possibility i do not understand why the line is in the movie and it's a problem for the movie there's no reason why she shouldn't who is it Rhea handler a Rhea perlman, Rhea perlman. Who, yeah playing ruth handler. yes it's a line that makes no sense to me because we stand back to not get in their way i just it just doesn't make any sense to me i've never i, mean, I didn't like it the first time i didn't like it the second time i think it makes a certain amount of sense but i'm not sure that it was phrased the right way because i I think she's saying like previous generations stand as a benchmark for you to see now that makes more sense yeah you can come and then i guess like the the only other thing i would want to do is talk about our hot takes sure i don't have hot takes but i found a couple things to be interesting and funny and the scenes where they're with weird barbie and and there are other barbies there the misfits you know i that was reminded of the island of misfit toys from rudolph the, the red <laughs> reindeer uh, that's just yeah. that's what this I, I really think that's what she's trying to you know trying to pull totally. forward yeah and then and then another movie that and she did say this uh now that i'm remembering it there was a an interview with Greta where she talked about all the influences that helped her create this movie and I wish I wish I'd reread that before we sat down to talk but there were a lot of them like the dancing movies with what's his name um oh yeah uh didn't she say like singing in the rain was one of yeah the singing in the rain yeah but um but there's also a point where at towards the end of the film where I guess Gloria's talking about talking to her daughter and, and talking about herself and they're having a conversation about how they can move forward and what they're going to be, be able to, to do with their lives and Gloria's daughter says, what about Barbie? Mm-hmm. That's reminiscent of the end of The Wizard of Oz. What about Dorothy? Yeah. So, I, and I do think she she did that a lot in the film. We probably just, I just, we could sit down and pick all those out. But yeah, she yeah. does, um, she just, she's, she's the kind of filmmaker who has watched 
a lot of movies. They influence her. She pays homage to them. But anyway, I just thought that those were kind of some of the interesting things. There was one other thing here. Shining. Do you remember the, the, the scene in the, in the car where the daughter says to her mother, and is it Barb? I'm not sure. But she says, are you two shining right now? I, I didn't know what that meant. I had to look it up. Okay. So I, I missed that, but I do know what it means. So in the movie The Shining. The Shining. The Shining is psychic ability is what it means. The Shining is is, is psychic ability. It mystical. Up, okay. Like so the, yeah. it's a reference to the mystical ability to establish a telepathic connection uh, yes. in, in Stephen King's horror story. And by the way, I think we have found a way in almost every one of our conversations to mention Mr. King. Kudos <laughs> to Mr. King. But yeah, so they just, it's, he's asking her mom if she and Barbie are shining. And, and it was like, you kind of could intuit what it meant, but it really was not a term that I had ever heard before. Anyway, that was, that was pretty funny. Since you brought it up again, uh, I just want to say that Stephen King apparently does not like the movie version of The Shining because he thinks oh, that yeah. Kubrick's interpretation of the main female character was extremely sexist. So... Anyway, <laughs> and once again, um, let's just wrap this up with Stanley Kubrick, shall we? Let's just because... shit on Stanley Kubrick. For <laughs> a while. And let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So my my hot takes. Honestly, I have two. I have two hot takes on this movie. The first is that I think this is the funniest movie I've ever seen. I think I had laughed more at this movie than any other movie I have ever seen, and I've watched it three times now. And last night. I maybe laughed even more than the first time I watched it. And my partner watched it with me again last night. And, you know, he he had also seen it. I guess at this point, it's been six months since we'd last seen it. But he was laughing just as much as we were in the theater. It's very witty. Lots of references. Yeah. So funny. So layered. And none of it, at least as of now, none of it are jokes. Because, you know, like I can go back and watch some other older funny movies and they'll still be funny, but they'll inevitably have some moment where you're like, oh, that's just a joke that gay people are gross or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like none of none of that kind of humor is, you know, who knows, maybe 20 years from now, <laughs> who knows what'll be considered out of date then. But I, I think this is the funniest movie I've ever seen. And my other hot take is that I have a hard time understanding how anyone does not like this movie and it forces me to conclude that either they are incapable of enjoying something that is so unabashedly over the top that they are they are in some ways cut off from joy <laughs> or that they are just cut off from allowing themselves to enjoy anything that is for women. I think that is ab- absolutely correct. That last that last statement, I think that's a big part of it. And, and mm-hmm. that would be true for men and women. And I think it's because we are so brainwashed, like the Barbies, mm-hmm. to consider men's movies and men's stories as legitimate and women's mm-hmm. movies and women's stories as not legitimate. And this goes, mm-hmm. this extends to music and to books. I mean, how many women comic book writers are there out there? This is just like we have been reduced you know, we make up 50% of the population. Statistically, we should be making up 50% of the artistic output. And we might, yeah. but it, but it's not seen. And, you know, artistic yeah. output is not seen or experienced by anybody. It, it's almost pointless. We're, we're swept under the rug and our stories are not important. But our stories are important. I, the other thing that I love about the movie, and, and I met, just kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but all the, all the cultural references, all the references to music mm-hmm. and movies and, you know, those those 
those two homages, but also specific references. There's a quote where somebody says to somebody, you haven't seen The Godfather? This movie is a rich blend of Coppola's aesthetic genius and a triumph <laughs> for Robert Evans and the architecture of the 70s studio structure. And you and I, you and I have had this conversation about these movies from the 70s because I think the 70s was a, was a you know, kind of a revolutionary time in American cinema. It's when the American cinema came into its own. And there's a lot of reason for that. It's all men. It's all men. I am the first one to say that. But that doesn't mean that it isn't um, that the voices during that time were creating new ways to look at at movies new yes. ways to, to say to, to tell stories but boy the 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 architecture of the 70s studio structure really got to me the joke there that these men love these movies so much that they want to talk over them the first time you watch them that, that's what she she says she comes in and she's like do you want to start it over and and talk over the whole thing yes <laughs> and also i think it's it's Issa Rae it's a distracting moment, it's as, one of the distractions yeah, it's, it's Issa Rae as President Barbie. And the way that she delivers, she comes in and she says, are you watching The Godfather? The way that she delivers that word cracks me up so hard. Godfather? And he's like, yeah, The Godfather. <laughs> like, she doesn't even know how to pronounce Godfather. And it's She's funny that you say that because I rewatched that exchange three times trying to figure out why he repeats the question. I did not notice how she pronounced it. <laughs> like, what, what the hell is going on oh, here? Are you watching The Godfather? <laughs> And then he so corrects funny. her with the Godfather. Uh, anyway, so those are my takes is that there's a lot of cultural references. I think for such a young person, because Greta is just a little bit older than you, maybe she's right at your age. She might be like 37 or 38. She's very young. She has a lot of cultural references in here that you would think with, for a filmmaker, the movie ones, yeah. But some mm -hmm. of the others, I'm like astounded. And she wrote this. Yeah. They put these cultural references in there. And I, I just think it's it's hilarious sometimes and wonderful. One of the best films I've seen in a long time. Certainly the best movie. And I will say it out loud. It was the best movie of 2023. I don't care what Without anybody says. As of recording, we don't know if it's going to win the Oscar. It, that's it, that's how that's what we should end on. Is, is We're into yeah. award season now. Yeah, we're into award season. It didn't win Best Picture for the Golden Globes, right? It didn't win anything for the Golden Globes except a special category that was created, I think, Thing, just so they could give the Barbie movie some attention and it was basically it was head spoke to box office but also movie making so best movie making that's not okay. the right that's not the right term but they, it was something like the movie making and box office effects so basically he made a movie that a lot of people like yeah also just like I don't know annoyance to me personally uh, I think it's I can't remember if it was the Oscars or the Golden Globes but for one of them it was put up for best adapted screenplay instead of best original screenplay because technically Barbie already exists this is an original screenplay Absolutely it's not it adapted from anything that's like saying so the just, Godfather just, well actually the Godfather was adapted but the Godfather is an actual adaptation <laughs> it was an actual book it, yeah so yeah we'll uh you know we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on the awards but we don't have super high hopes for no we don't. Uh, the Oscars and Barbie even though we both think it was the best movie of 2023 there isn't even really any competition but you know i i have hated the oscars for a long time i, I yeah. have actually I, I do remember <laughs> i do remember when i gave up on the oscars and it was the year that crash won the best picture oscar instead of 
Brokeback Mountain pretty much gave up on the Oscars right then and there. And every year for me is just sort of a a torture test uh, as I watch movies get nominated and watch the actual best movies of the year either not win the award or not even get nominated. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, so it's it's a frustrating time of year for all of us who actually can you know take movies seriously. But we have gone way too long. So that, dear listeners, is all for today. I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, TessaDare.com, or you can sign up for my email list. Or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adare or on TikTok at author.tess.adare. Or you can find us uh, at Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash where you lead. And I'm Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at STL underscore writer underscore Beth, or sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday morning musings at stlwriterbeth.substack.com. This has been Women Inherits the Earth, a discussion podcast about women in movies from the perspective of a mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in about two weeks. See you then.